And nobody really knew who I was. Nobody knew the challenges that I was facing or the struggles. And I was miserable because I felt in, incredibly alone. And when I came out of that and I started to share with other people, specifically other men in my life, the catalyst was I had a conversation with one of my close friends, laid all the cards out on the table, told him everything that I had been challenged with. And he, he broke down and he told me that he tried to commit suicide two months before and that he had tried to hang himself. And in that moment, I, I just so distinctly remember sitting there on the verge of tears thinking, how do I know this guy so well? I know everything about him. If you ask me what type of scotch he loved, I could tell you his favorite food. I could tell you like his sports team, the whole thing. But I didn't know the most important pieces that were leading him to destruction. And he didn't know them about me either. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men This Way. Why is it important for a man to be open and honest about his personal challenges, what he's really going through in his work, his relationships, his life, especially with other men? Did you know that neurologically the most appealing word to men is the word battle? And what does that mean for our cozy modern lives, our intimate relationships, our vitality as men? In this episode, my guest, Connor Beaton, and I give you useful insights and answers to these questions and more. I met Connor a few years ago at an event that his organization, Man Talks, was putting on in Los Angeles. In fact, right when I was in the middle of a three-week breakup with my girlfriend. And I was just being gutted by that experience. Going to Connor's event, being around inspiring, inspired men, having honest conversations about our experiences as men, it was so helpful to me in navigating that painful time. And fortunately, she and I got back together just a few weeks later. She's actually now my fiance. And I also felt like I'd found a new friend in Connor. Since then, I've actually become a big Connor Beaton fan. His TEDx talk on masculinity is one of my all-time favorites of any TEDx or TED talk. It's brilliant, and it will probably make you cry like it did me every time I've watched it. And you should go watch it, but after this podcast. Connor's Man Talks is an international organization focused on men's health, wellness, success, and fulfillment. And I believe one of the most challenging works and worthy works that any man can give himself to in this world is work that supports other men to getting honest with themselves, to taking real responsibility for our lives, including our messes and our mess ups, while also learning how to be truly vulnerable in powerful ways that stop perpetuating darkness and insanity, but rather lift and light up our world, the world, and everyone in it. And I know because I'm attempting that work. And so is Connor, the big time. In fact, as I was preparing for this interview, reading everything that I could about him and what he's up to, 
I actually had a little bit of a moment of despair because it occurred to me that he's already doing so much to support men on their journey to being better husbands, fathers, leaders. So maybe I should just stick to focusing on supporting women and couples or just go find other work altogether. But I took a few deep breaths and I got over it because truth is, we can't possibly have too many men doing work to support other men. And what followed was a truly inspiring conversation between us that I am honored and excited to share with you. Be sure to stay for Connor's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Connor Beaton, welcome. What's going on, man? Thank you so much for having me. Man, it is so good to have you on Men This Way. I got to be honest with you, man. I was nervous. I've been nervous before this conversation, not just because I'm new at this, but because I was going through, you know, doing my research, preparing, really want to make this a rich experience and very personal with you. And, and as I was reading through, you know, everything that you've done, you know, people have come to me and said, Brian, your bio is fucking amazing. When I was reading yours, man, I wanted to hang up my shingle, like just be done. I'm done. I'm done. I need to get out of the men's workspace. Connor's got it handled. <laughs> I, had to, I had to take a moment and just sort of breathe deeply and okay, no, 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 no. Connor can't do it all himself. Definitely not. Definitely not, man. We, we got to do it together. And, and while I appreciate the praise, I definitely appreciate the praise. It's one of those things where when it comes to men's work, when it comes to working with men, I fundamentally believe that there's, what's the saying? Like the more, the merrier. Yeah. But I, I really do think that that's true. The, the more men that we have out in the world serving men and having these types of conversations, the better. And I have a deep respect for the work that you do. So I'm, I'm equally honored to be on, on this show. Yeah, I always, when uh, prospective would-be coaches come and say, you know, I, I want to be a coach, but it seems like there's so many coaches. Everyone wants to be a coach. And I always tell people, we need an army of coaches. We need an army of healers, of service providers, helping people really connect with their deepest truth. So I had to take my own advice as I was preparing for this interview. <laughs> Dude, you're really doing amazing work in the world. And you know, and we'll get into all that in a minute. And really, this interview is really about your experience as a man, which you can't separate from the work that you're doing in the world. You know, I watched your TEDx talk and any man listening and woman, for that matter, go watch Connor's TEDx talk, Connor Beaton. It's hands down, I mean, in my top three favorite of TED or TEDx talks of all time, dude, it gets me. I watched it again today. I'd seen it a few years ago or and made me cry. So all that to just again say, Connor, it's, it's really an honor to have you on this, man. I so appreciate what you're doing in the world. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. So let's start with you and I are both essentially married. You're getting married soon, but you and I, we're both in a way, we're kind of like clones of each other in this weird way. Again, though, it's like my insecurity says, Connor's everything you're supposed to be, Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that aside, we're both married essentially to really beautiful women who are marriage and family therapists on top of it. Mm -hmm. And we both have golden retrievers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you do, right? What's your... We're living the East Coast version, you know, of, right. of your West Coast life. Yeah. What's the best part about all of that for you? Did you dream of such a woman when you were younger and, and, and maybe the dog too? Oh, honestly, man, you know, I, I didn't. And I was living a very different life in Vancouver. You know, I, I was living on the West Coast. I always knew that I wanted to have a great relationship. Like that was always important to me as a kid. 
And hopefully you don't hear too much of like the New York sirens in the background. But, you know, even as a kid, I remember just wanting to be in a great relationship. And it probably comes from my desire because it's not that I saw incredibly dysfunctional relationships as a kid, but I definitely saw dysfunction at home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my parents were divorced when I was three. They married other people. And so for me, there was always this disconnection between having a home of my own, you know, and so I always knew that I that I wanted that. I never, ever in a million years mm. thought that I would be living in New York, ever. Oh, that, um, that, that's the stretch. Yeah. And so I just never pictured myself mm. here. But now that I'm here, it's quite an interesting experience because of the opportunities that it provides and just some of the some of the connections and experiences. And so, you know, I am blessed in the sense that. I have trusted my intuition. Mm -hmm. And when I met Vienna, even though we were bi-coastal, you know, I was living in Vancouver, she was living in New York. We were 3,000 miles apart. Mm -hmm. You know, very quickly, I realized that she was the one. She was the woman that I wanted to make it work with. And so I did everything that I possibly could to make the relationship work, which meant flying back and forth 3,000 miles every two or three weeks, which was great for my air miles, my air mile points. <laughs> yeah. uh, not so great for my bank account, but <laughs> it was... How, how long have you been together now? Uh, we are about two and a half, just over two and a half years in and getting married in April. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So let me ask you, man, because you, you were talking before, you got a lot of things going on. You're up to so many good things in the world. And I mean, you have the, the Real Talk event, right? Man Talks, your podcast. What's the name of the, the alliance, right? Yep. Working with men. You're married to Vienna. Where are you challenged right now in your life? Humanize yourself for us. Like, what, what do you want us to know about you? The men that are listening, tell us something about you. Tell us you got some struggle going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, definitely. I think that, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I think a lot of men face, and I am not excluded from that, is trying to find a, some resemblance of balance in our increasingly busying lives. And, you know, I have routines in the morning, I have routines at night, and I, I have some structure to my week so that, you know, shit's just not pure chaos all mm -hmm. the time. Because as an entrepreneur, as I'm sure that you and, and many of the listeners that are out there, male or female, can identify with is that if you're an entrepreneur, if you work for yourself, or even if you work for a company, but you work from home, mm -hmm. organizing your schedule, organizing your week can just be sheer chaos. And because I wear so many hats within my work, that has been an essential part. So honestly, the main challenge that I face is balancing all the things. I think like I was saying on the call before... Before we got started, right now, I am planning a wedding. I am planning a video series, which I've got some funding to do a video series and interview some incredible men that'll, that'll be coming out later on this year. I'm organizing, applying for a green card because I'm moving to the United States. I'm letting go of my apartment in Vancouver, trying to sell my car, trying to sell my stuff. And wow. so all, all of this stuff has converged in at once. And it really tests your nature you know, how well you can respond to staying grounded in any given moment. And one of my favorite words right now during this space of chaos is equanimity. Mm. And equanimity is, the definition is balance in the face of chaos. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of men, it is something that we try and cultivate. And that's the battle for me right now is, is, is really trying to find that equanimity on a day-to-day -day basis when there's so much going on. And 
letting go of the life that I had in Vancouver. You know, I mm. have lived there for 11 years and it, it has actually been a little bit of a longer and more challenging process than I expected. You know, I think that as men, when we let go of things, relationships, when we let go of careers, you know, whether we're fired or, yeah. or we choose to move on, there's a grieving process that happens. Yeah. And my life has been in Vancouver for over a decade. And now I'm moving to a fundamentally different city full time. And that has a weight to it, that has a, a charge to it. Yeah. And there's some work that needs to be done around it and processing that needs to be done around it. And so yeah. amongst the whole tornado of stuff that's going on in life, processing that is the current challenge. Man, I love that you brought that up, that grieving experience. I sold a couple of years ago, two years ago, I sold a truck that I had maybe four or five years prior, I had traveled in all around the country with a music band with five other men who were like my husbands for a year. Mm. I never wanted one husband and all of a sudden I had five <laughs> and we were brothers, man. And, and we did everything together. And we had this amazing experience traveling all over North America for a year. And then that truck brought me to, from Miami to California. It made my life possible. I slept in that truck overnight sometimes when I didn't have a place to go. I went to Burning Man in that truck for three years and, you know, and, and all that went away and, um, you know, settled into life with the truck. And the night I sold it, I cried like a baby, mm. sobbing shoulders and everything. I had no idea that grieving was there. That sadness was there. I had no idea. And, you know, even going from, I wonder if you had this experience or you could speak to it. Cause I think even when something like what you're going through, something really beautiful is happening, going from being single to in relationship with an extraordinary person, mm. even that there's a grieving in that transition that I think is probably healthy. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I often say it's naive to think that we're not attached to things, right? Mm -hmm. We're not, most people, even if they know about Buddhism and practice Buddhism, they usually still have fairly healthy, strong attachments to things. Mm. Things people, um, you know, our ego and identity like to define themselves, like to define itself by the things that are around us, by the places that we live and the people we're surrounded with and the things that we do. And when any one of those things, especially the things that have brought us great joy, you know, like the relationship that ends with the incredible partner and it ends amicably or it ends suddenly and we don't know why it's ended or the career that the, the job opportunity that ends, all of those things are so challenging because they define us in some way. Vancouver defined me in many ways. Vancouver was where I started Man Talks. It's where I had a lot of my initial success. I've had some incredible opportunities there. I've made some amazing, amazing friends there. And so to depart from that city is huge, mm -hmm. right? There's an identity shift that comes with that. And there can be a depression that a lot of men will experience behind the scenes, which is who am I without that? Yep. And that's usually the question that starts to happen, right? So, and men and women alike, right? If you're going through some sort of transition, the background question is usually who am I without that? And the grieving process is about honoring the memory of that thing while not holding on to it necessarily in being open and receptive to what can come in front of us, what can come in the future, because there's a strength in that while still learning from the past, learning from what we experienced there and integrating it and honoring it and respecting it and being grateful for it. 
and stepping more powerfully into, into the future. Yeah, I think this is so important. I'm, I'm glad this is coming up because I know there's going to be a lot of men listening who have a dream, have a yearning, have something they want to do in the world, but feel, I don't know, stuck or rooted in place. And it takes a lot of courage to make the leap and they haven't made it yet. And I was even reflecting as you were sharing, I was remembering when I got out of the military at 26 years old, I couldn't wait to get out of the military, man. I, it just was not serving my soul. I'm very proud of my service and being that experience, but I couldn't wait to get out. And then when I got out, holy shit, did I have to go through a terrifying who am I mm-hmm. experience? Who am I if I'm not a captain in the Air Force? Oh my. I mean, it was really, really scary. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that so many guys, especially in male culture, we are sort of indoctrinated and told that when, when there's the opportunity for grieving, when grief comes up, right? We've lost a partner, a parent, a career opportunity, like whatever it is, we in male culture have sort of indoctrinated each other to just sort of skip past that process, mm-hmm. right? So we break up with the girlfriend or the girlfriend breaks up with us. And what do our buddies tell us? They say, well, just drink it off, you know, go fuck somebody else and you'll feel better. Yeah. And the reality is, is that that doesn't honor the grieving process. And I see a lot of men stuck in their life, they reach a plateau in some way, shape or form, whether it's professionally, personally, sexually, like whatever in their health. And they're stuck there simply because in the past somewhere, they haven't honored a grieving process. They haven't honored the loss of part of themselves or a family member or the end of a relationship in some way, shape or form. And it holds them back and it holds them down. Yeah. In your TEDx talk, you tell a story of a young man who essentially said, you know, love is for the weak. Mm. And when he came in, you know, that caught you by surprise. And when he came in the next day and uh, how old was that kid? He was like 10, 12. Yeah. He was about 10 or 11 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that story brought me again today to tears. I mean, I, I could feel it. And again, that, that part of me is like, don't cry, don't go there. Wanted to prevent it. But, oh, what I love about that story, you, his father, so his mom had just died of cancer, mm-hmm. right? And dad tells him, stop crying, don't cry, deal with it like a man. Yeah. And you say something, one of my favorite things that you say in that TEDx talk, and it's just full of wisdom. One of the things that you said that I thought was so, so profound, and I'd love for you to, to build on that a little bit. You say, dealing with it like a man means having the courage to see what's actually there instead of running away from it. Mm-hmm. It is a simple truth, you know, and sometimes these simple truths are the hardest ones to accept. The reality is to just expand on that a little bit and build on that a little bit is the reality is that any time in our lives, any time that we lie in some capacity, we create an immense amount of suffering in our life. So we don't oftentimes think about ignoring and avoiding our true emotions as lies. But the reality is, is that that's a lie. You are lying to yourself if you feel sad about the loss of a partner and you don't honor that. You're just fucking lying to yourself. Or even feel sad that there's an opportunity in front of you that you're not taking action on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it can be something that is lost and it can be something that you... So here's the thing. It can be something that you want to move away from or something that you want to move towards. Yeah. 
And when you don't honor those things, it is a form of a lie. And the thing is, is that our brain knows that we're lying. And then what happens is that our body corresponds to that lie. It charges our nervous system, charges our sympathetic nervous system. The chemicals and the hormones in our body start to change. And there's a lot of data to back this up scientifically. And so we can start to see that the more lies we live, the more lies that we live into about not honoring grief, not honoring loss of something, or simply, you know, there might be people on this call that are like, I really can't stand my job and I want to go apply for this other company or this other business or start my own business, but they're not doing it. It's going to cause suffering because they're living in a space of complacency, which is a lie to what they truly want for themselves. And when we do that psychologically, emotionally, physically, it starts to manifest itself and it starts to come out in these really negative ways. Relationally as well. Yeah, 100%. And so what we need to do is we actually need to turn towards the truth. And it's uncomfortable, right? It is unfreaking comfortable. I think Tim Ferriss said, success is determined by the number of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. Well, some of those conversations are with yourself, right? Some of those conversations are with yourself around how you're lying to yourself. You're not honoring your values, your morals, how you're not honoring the type of relationship that you want to be in or the type of relationship you want to move towards. Like there's so many different iterations of it. But the foundation is, you know, if every man just looked at one lie in his life, one lie that he knows he's telling, whether it's to himself or his partner or his family or his boss, and he corrected that lie, he would be in the space of transformation. He would be in the space of change. And it would give him a sense of expansion that would help him grow. And that's what we crave as men. We want to be challenged. We want to grow. We want to expand. And how we do that in a very simplistic way is we identify the falsehoods, the lies that are in our lives, and we start to turn them into truths. And that's a form of self-love, self-empowerment, and self-respect. Connor, what brought you to this work? I mean, what did you, you know... I had to get my ass kicked in all kinds of different ways. What brought you to this work? Yeah. Oh man. My like whole life, (laughs) like I'll give you the condensed version, but like just really like my whole life, you know, I grew up between two families and they were identical, but opposite families. So Mm -hmm. in my family system, on the one hand, there was my mom and my stepdad and the other side, there was my dad and my stepmom and they both had a daughter one year apart, and they both had a son one year apart. Mm. And so the family systems looked identical, but the players in those systems were very different. And the interesting part was that my fathers were very different. So my dad and my stepdad were very different men. You know, my dad was very charismatic. Everyone loved him. He's very artistic, a little bit more like emotionally intelligent. And then my stepdad's like the sort of classic alpha leading the family, not as emotionally aware sometimes. And that made me curious from a very young age about what it meant to be a man. Mm -hmm. And as I was becoming a man, I started to see these two versions of men. And then there was other men like my grandfather and, and whatnot that were in my life that taught me a little bit more of an integrated version of masculinity. But the real crux of it was my own personal experience. You know, I was very successful in some ways in my earlier life. And on paper, it looked like I had it all together. I, I had a great career. I had a great partner. 
I was traveling the world. I had, you know, the motorcycles and the Mustangs. And I had all the things that I thought a man needed to have to be happy and successful. And behind the scenes, I just didn't feel like it. I felt like a total fraud, uh, failure. And I was just like waiting for, there was like this part of my brain that was just waiting for people to find out that I was, that I was a fake. Mm-hmm. And my whole life kind of came crumbling down because of that, because I didn't believe that I deserved it. And I found myself in what I call the abyss, this just very dark place. You know, it's right down in there with rock bottom. And out of that space, I realized that I had gotten there because I had really followed this one rule of men, which is that you don't talk about what it's like to be a man. Mm. You don't talk about what it's like to be a man going through divorce or a man who's lost his job or a man who feels depressed or a man who feels anxious or a man who is sexually frustrated in his partnership. And I had been abiding by that rule forever, just forever. Mm -hmm. And nobody really knew who I was. Nobody Mm -hmm. knew the challenges that I was facing or the struggles. And I was miserable because I felt incredibly alone. And when I came out of that and I started to share with other people, specifically other men in my life, the catalyst was I had a conversation with one of my close friends, laid all the cards out on the table, told him everything that I had been challenged with. And he, he broke down and he told me that he tried to commit suicide two months before and that he had tried to hang himself. And in that moment, I, I just so distinctly remember sitting there on the verge of tears thinking, how do I know this guy so well? I know everything about him. If you ask me what type of scotch he loved, I could tell you his favorite food. I could tell you like his sports team, the whole thing, but I didn't know the most important pieces that were leading him to destruction. And he didn't know them about me either. And I thought, how fucked up is that? How screwed up is that, that I, that I don't really know him and he doesn't really know me. And so it kind of lit this fire inside of me to do something about it, to really course correct the conversations that men have and the type of connections that men have and, and get into a space, get back to a, a space where men can talk about the real things going on in their life and have more connected friendships and intimate relationships and business and the whole thing. And so that was sort of the, the catalyst for the, everything that I've built since then. Uh, wow, man, that is fucking profound. <laughs> the fact that you can be so close with someone and not know that they tried to kill themselves yeah, just months earlier. And that, I mean, that's... So along those lines, then, how would you say your life is made richer by your relationships, particularly in this era of that transparency and that vulnerability and, and this, the work that you do and the, and the, the conversations that you hold. I mean, man talks that totally, I totally get the reason for that name now. <laughs> yeah. How is your life then made, been made richer now by your relationships with other men? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think the simplest way to put it is that most of the men that I end up working with, they almost always have something in common, which is that they always feel like people know a version of them or they know 90% of them, but they never know the whole them, the entirety of them. And sometimes these men feel like they're hiding something from themselves. They're hiding something from their friends. And how it's served me is that I don't hide anything. There's nothing hidden. My friends know what's going on in my life. They know my failures. They know where I'm struggling. 
They know where I am absolutely crushing it. They know where I'm happy. They know the whole version of me, not a part of me, not a mask of me, mm-hmm. not a, a sort of nine-tenths of me. They know the whole thing. And I know the whole thing of them. Mm-hmm. And if they were struggling and in, in some capacity, they have the freedom and the respect to be able to come in contact with me and, and get my support and me for them. And that has enriched my life in ways that are hard to describe emotionally, physically, financially, mm-hmm. right? From a success standpoint with what I've been able to do because of Man Talks. Like Man Talks wouldn't exist without the relationships that I have in my life. Everything that I have done in my life right now would fundamentally not be possible without the people that I've surrounded myself with. And that's made possible because they know all of me, not a part of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before, um, just a couple hours ago, a friend of mine, he's a men's coach, called me. I was actually doing another interview for a men's online summit. I only had a few minutes, but he said, it's okay, man. I just need some, I need feedback from you right now. Mm. I haven't had a new client in months. I'm at my bottom financially. I'm scared. I'm getting ready to get on a call with a guy in 10 minutes and I'm in that needy place. I need you to fucking just give it to me. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And this is a longtime friend of mine. And I love, you know, we have that kind of relationship. We've invited each other to give real feedback. And in just a matter of, of minutes, he was able to uh, oh, relax his own nervous system and relax his story. And I gave him some fucking hard feedback, some challenging feedback to his stories and how he does his business and all this in a matter of minutes. And and he sent me a, um, a text about an hour later saying, I got the new client. Thank you. Mm. And I'd even encouraged him to let go of that client. Just let go. Just forget it. Expect that he's not going to be your client. And let's, let's deal with some other things that are going on afterwards. We don't have time right now. The reason that I bring that up too is because I know, and, and I can feel it in myself at times, it's so scary to admit where I'm not crushing it, where people might think I should be crushing it. And yet it makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. I really want to emphasize this point for the men listening to cultivate those kinds of friendships. As you said, give your friends permission and show them that they have permission from you or ask for permission from them to be able to bring that kind of stuff. Because just my personal experience, Connor, and, and I'd love to hear, you know, how that showed up for you. I feel super fucking lonely when I'm not able to have those conversations with men, not just with women, but with men. Yeah. I was going to add like, cause I, I get this all the time. Guys are like, Oh, I couldn't do that with my group of friends. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, well then find a group where you can so that you can be the friend that brings that into your group that brings it in your circle. Yeah. You know, it's, it's why men's groups exist, whether you join a man talks group or the every man group or the good man project, or, mm-hmm. you know, you, you do something like the Alliance. That's why I created it so that guys around the world could have that type of brotherhood and camaraderie, but you get around men who are willing to have those conversations because the likelihood is that maybe, maybe if you do reach out to your friends, your current friends right now, you'll get rejected right. or you'll get made fun of. And maybe that's the truth. And if that is the truth, then find a group of men where you can have those real conversations. Because if you don't, it's going to continue to hold you back, right? And we know that that's true. And so find a group of men that, that you can get into and have those types of conversations with so that you can go back into that friend group and be the man that brings the conversation in. 
And the, the last piece that I'd add is that men thrive off of battle and challenge. Like we actually, I read an interesting study once that said the most appealing word to men is battle. Hmm. Something happens neurologically in our brain. Like they had a bunch of men hooked up to, I can't remember what kind of device it was, but our brain, you know, they had the uh-huh. men hooked up neurologically and they were scanning their brain and they were seeing which words triggered what. And the word that triggered the most activity in the brain was battle. Interesting. And it was like, okay, so clearly we like to be challenged. Clearly we like a little bit of tension and resistance. And men start to sort of die or fade or become flaccid and complacent when they don't have some sort of, of tension or perceived quote-unquote battle in their life. And the problem is, is that if they don't have that, they will externalize the battle, right? So they will create battle. They will create conflict with their partner, with their wife, with their kids in unnecessary ways. And so if they are not surrounded by the type of men who are going to challenge them, who mm-hmm. will in a loving, respectful, kind, humble, compassionate, empathetic way say, I think you're better than this. In fact, I know you're better than this. And here, I'm going to prove it and call them forward in the type of man that they want to be. They start to become complacent and then they start to battle and take that excess energy out yeah. on the people that they love who should be getting the best parts of them. I think, you know, just sharing that, I'm thinking of the, even just the political climate we live in today. We actually are safer than we've ever been in the history of humankind. We are fatter, meaning we're more well-fed, we're safer, we have more abundance, like everything's pretty goddamn good. (laughs) And yet we are in such conflict and strife and even in fear. It's like we have so externalize that need for battle. And yet we all hate that at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, the interesting thing is, is that there's a correlation to male and female depression here, right? So statistically, females, women will internalize their depression. So when they're depressed, they will go inwards. They'll start to collapse. They will take that depression out on themselves. They'll, they'll very much start to ruminate around around a sense of self-loathing and image and all of those pieces, right? So self-deprecation runs rampant. Men who are depressed will oftentimes, more often than not, start to externalize. So their depression will become put on other people. So they'll become highly combative. They'll become very externally reactive. They will take their sadness, their grief, their depression out on the people around them without knowing or, or even labeling that it's depression, that, mm-hmm. it's, that it's this sense of sadness. And there, there are a few different types of depression that show up within men. And there's a guy named Terrence Real, Terry Real, who is... Love his work. Yeah, he's really done a lot of incredible things in terms of male depression. But that's really how it shows up. So when men don't have a, a sense of not... Tension's almost the wrong word, but when men don't have something that they're working towards or working on that is creating a sense of growth and expansion, it will cause them to collapse in on themselves. And that collapsing in on themselves oftentimes causes them to externally go to war with the people and and things around them. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked a lot about the heaviness of the male experience and I think we kind of have to in this work a lot because of, I think, the, the collective denial that especially men, a lot of men are in that now, you know, I'm fine other than the other than the Democrats or other than the Republicans. Other than that, I'm right. fine. Everything's good. <laughs> other than right. my crazy woman who just makes shit up and it's just, but everything, I'm fine. 
it's like we have to talk about that, the heaviness of the experience to get us started. But I want to ask you, because you wrote a post, which I really appreciated about, I love being a man. Mm. I don't want to apologize for being a man or for being white or just, and that's something that I've taken a long time to really embrace loving being a man. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me that I didn't love being a man, that I actually kind of hated men in a sense because of what I saw growing up and being in the military and coming into that place of, fuck, man, I love being a man. Not above being a woman, but just purely being a man. So I want to ask you, what do men have to celebrate these days about being a man? Mm, it's such a good question and such a relevant time for that question. You know, men still play and always will play an integral part in our society, even as it evolves. Like, I think the idea and the belief that somehow the rise of women and the empowerment of women is a threat to men is a misnomer. It's an illusion. But it is the scared boys inside of the men that is reacting in that way. It's the men who have been told and taught that they need to rule, that their power as men comes from domination. I actually love how Terry Real put it. We've been taught power over mm-hmm. rather than power with. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And we have, in many ways, a lot of men have forgotten that power with, which is almost more powerful, yeah. right? Because there's the power over which is a very fear-based power, right? If you look at somebody like Trump, for example, I'm just going to clearly state my political views here. (laughs) But if you look at somebody like Trump, he rules over people Mm -hmm. and he can never be wrong. And he has a necessity to prove himself right constantly. And nobody can disagree with him. And if they do disagree with him, what does he do? Well, he bashes them. He puts them down. He puts them underneath him in every way, shape, or form possible. Yeah, and I want to acknowledge, again, because this isn't a Republican-Democrat thing. This is pure that's right. behavior, an analysis of behavior. Yeah. And some Democrats have done that as well, yeah. right? There are Democrats that have done that as well. So it's not a Republican-Democrat thing. Yeah. It's literally just, this is how Trump operates. Yeah. And there are other leaders out there, political and commercial you know, commerce, that do the exact same thing. Yeah. So what do men have to celebrate? Men have to celebrate a lot But the caveat to that, I'm going to answer the question directly in a second. The caveat is that men can't celebrate anything that I'm about to say before they work through the shame around being a man in the first place. Hmm. And that is the really important thing that men like you are doing in the world, which is helping men work through the shame of just being a man, Mm -hmm. right? And the challenge is that many men have shame around being a man because they grew up with an abusive father or they grew up with a father who wasn't around, or you know, a dominant mother and the father was very inactive. And they have anger towards men as a gender. And they have disappointment towards men as a gender. And there's a, there's a deep disappointment there from a lot of men. And then on the other side, you have the group of men who are trying to overcompensate for that by, by positioning themselves as dominant. So here's a few things that men can celebrate. First and foremost, we have done some phenomenal things. Our world, in many ways, good or bad, right or wrong, fucked up or amazing, our world in many ways has been shaped by the minds of men up until this point. Much of science 
And thankfully now, and over the last few decades, women have really started to enter into that workforce in terms of science, physics, math, mathematics, engineering. But for the most part, over the last couple hundred years and in the last thousand years, that has been driven by men. And so a lot of the inventions, a lot of the creations, a lot of the luxuries that we have today, that's been created predominantly by men. And that's a reality, Mm -hmm. right? And that's an amazing thing that we can celebrate. We can also celebrate as men, outside of the like tactical things that we've done and built, (laughs) we can also celebrate some of the beauties of masculine nature, right? Some of the beauties of masculine nature, which is focus and purpose and embodiment of presence. All of those things are things that we as men should be celebrating. If you're a man that lives your purpose in life, and you can be present in every single moment to your partner, to your work that you're doing in the world, to the people that you come in contact with on a daily basis, that should be celebrated. You should be celebrating that deeply. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, a lot in that answer. I want to finish with one last big question before we move to what I call the five key takeaways finale. Mm. which is a, a name for my finale, which I don't like. And if anyone <laughs> has a better suggestion, I'm open. <laughs> but here's the question. What do you think then, Connor, is the biggest challenge facing men today? And what wisdom would you offer in the face of it? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a big one. I mean, there are many challenges that I hear men talk about consistently. Honestly, I think the one of the biggest challenges that men are facing today is social isolation. I think that loneliness amongst men, not in the traditional sense of, oh, I'm alone and and nobody knows me and I don't spend time with anybody. That's not it. Social isolation from this perspective of no one truly knows me. That actually is one of the biggest challenges that I see a lot of men facing, especially men who are struggling right? Especially men who are battling anxiety or depression. There's a sense of isolation that they have to do it, fix it, solve it all by themselves. And they feel cut off because they aren't able to, in their minds, they're not able to connect with their partner or their friends or their family and communicate some of the challenges that they're facing. Not only that, they don't have the proper role models or mentors around them oftentimes to support them in moving through that. Mm. So Social isolation is really one of the biggest ones that I see, and it's perpetuated and really accentuated by things like pornography mm-hmm. and social media, right? Guys don't have to leave their apartment anymore to be validated, to get sex. I mean, they can do it all from the comfort of their home. Yeah. And so more and more, I see a lot of men who are just in some way, shape or form lonely. And so how do we address that? Well, we need to get into action. So one is finding groups, finding other men that are like-minded to you, right? Maybe not necessarily the man that you are at this current moment, but the man that you know you would like to become, the man that you know you're capable of stepping into. Finding like-minded men like that, whether it's going to an event or you know, trying out a new group or an online forum or whatever that is, but stepping into that space and starting to have new connections. The second thing is to change the conversation that you have internally and externally. And what I mean by that specifically is starting to shift the internal dialogue and narrative that you need to figure it out by yourself, 
that no one else can help you because it'd make you less of a man and that you actually need to <laughs> that you actually need to sort it out by yourself or there's something wrong with you. And so when you can start to shift that conversation and open up with people and have better dialogue with your father or your brothers or your friends uh, or your new friends, then you'll start to shift the internal landscape. So those are a few things that, that people can do specifically. And, and the thing that I think I would just end with as a caveat is Brene Brown had a great quote that said, vulnerability is earned. And I think that this is incredibly true for men. I think that if a man is going to be vulnerable, oftentimes there's a lot of fear around him opening up. There's a lot of fear of rejection, a lot of fear of abandonment or abuse or being made fun of. And what I would like to say to you is, is if you are out there and you're considering connecting with someone and you know, sharing or opening up about some of the stuff that's been happening in your life, find people that have earned your vulnerability whether it's a therapist or a mentor or a coach or a friend, but make sure that they've earned the right for you to be open with them. Mm-hmm. I'm getting chills as you're sharing that because I'm, I'm going to bring it back to what you said in your TEDx talk. I mean, this is really the model of manhood that speaks so deeply to me. Deal with it like a fucking man, which means have the courage to see what's actually there. Mm-hmm not bury your head in the sand and pretend everything's okay because invincibility is what means manhood. That's bullshit. But have the courage to be with what is actually there. Man, that's fucking courage. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And and if you want to practice for this, you can do what I call the honest audit. And you literally go through the different parts of your life and you you sort of get out your honest pen or pencil mm-hmm. and you rate yourself on each area. So how, how would I rate myself as a husband? How would I rate myself professionally? And you hold no bars at all. Mm-hmm. And then you start to write out for yourself, why is it that I rated myself at a four or a five mm-hmm. as a husband, as a father? And, and you really take a scrutinizing look at how you're behaving, how you're showing up, and you choose one or two things that you are going to focus in on that would correct that behavior. And if you can't figure that out, if you maybe are just in a bad space and you don't know what would course correct that behavior, that's when it's time to go see a therapist, go see a coach, reach out for help, find somebody that is around you that can support you in that journey and say, look, I really am doing an honest check with myself. And I've realized that I am just am shit right now professionally. Mm. I am not good right now relationally as a father or as a husband. And I would like some insight into how I can maybe course correct this mm. and, and get somebody to be a part of that honest audit with you. Profound, man. And that, again, I want to emphasize to men listening, you know, the masculine value of freedom and the truth will set you free. And the truth is fucking, it takes courage. And this is what we're talking about. Like the truth of what is actually here. And just to speak to the ladies, just I, I know that we're going to move on to the, the five keys, but just to speak to the ladies, <laughs> women, you hold the permission card for so many men to go and do the work. I mm-hmm. cannot, cannot emphasize this enough. Women have so much influence in men's life that they don't even know about. And it's a beautiful gift to so many men. And the majority of the men that come and work with me, I always ask the question, how did you find me? 
Yeah. And the answer is almost inevitably, my wife yeah. sent me your Instagram profile, your podcast, whatever it is. Yeah. But she's been the catalyst to help him in some way, shape or form. And guys, you know, if, if your partner is directing you in, in a way, it's up to you to take that support or not, right? The, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make a drink. Yeah. But ladies, you do have an incredible amount of influence with the men in your life. So please use it wisely. And acknowledging too, it, it does take a certain skill to influence your man in a way that he'll actually respond versus resist you right back. Yeah. So. Yes. It's a very different thing from like, you need help. Yeah. <laughs> probably it's not going to go over so well. No. <laughs> right? It's probably not going to go over so well if you're yeah. like, you really suck right now as my husband. So you should probably go see this therapist. Right. Probably going to get a, a very reactive space. Maybe we should do like a whole, a whole episode or like mini episode on how to talk to to talk to them about it. Absolutely. Maybe one day we'll even have our, we can have our women on. We can do a foursome episode. That'd be and, great. And you know, your soon-to-be wife, Vienna, uh, her last name is... Farron. Farron, Farron. Yeah. My partner, Sylvie Kukassian, and you can actually find them both. They're rocking it on Instagram. Those two women, they give all kinds of tips and things that, that women can work with. And anyway, another subject for yeah. another time. That would be fun. So excellent. So let's move on to the five key takeaways finale. And the point of this is to leave men with actionable tools, resources, and a practice that you can begin to work with immediately. I mean, we've just covered some really beautiful and profound wisdom, and you could listen to that over and over, and you'd hear it differently and deeper every time. But this is just to finish with five specific things that you can you know, take notes. And this will all be in the show notes as well. So, Connor, you ready for this? Yeah, let's do it. Cool, man. So number one, key insight. What's the one key insight that you would offer listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? Mm. The biggest thing that I would say is validation. Find internal validation first and external validation second. I think there are in my life specifically, this has radically changed things. And maybe that doesn't necessarily apply to you. But I see a lot of people seeking external validation in this social media age. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it creates a, a sort of softness and an unhappiness yeah. because they're not happy. So I would say strive for internal validation. Work relentlessly, relentlessly to validate yourself and be honest and seek truth and live truth over the lies. I think that's so important, man. And it's so relevant to just even what I continue to go through because it's so easy as an entrepreneur doing this work, wanting to be successful, wanting to have an impact to act out of anxiety constantly. Oh, I'm not having enough impact. I'm not. When is it going to be enough? How many men do you need to touch and serve before it's enough? There is no number. (laughs) It's endless. And so it's so easy to just act out of that anxiety when sometimes for me, the most powerful thing I can do is just meditate, take a nap yeah. before I do anything. Yeah. And, and on that, I would just say like scale back your impact. You know, we, I, think, I think we live in this like, we live in this like ridiculous world sometimes where it's all about like moonshots and, and yeah. crushing it every single day. And, the, and I see so many men just paralyzed to take action yeah. because they're like, it needs to be so fucking big. And my vision is so big. I don't even know where to start. And it's like, scale it back, yeah. right? Scale it back. If you want to help a billion people, you got to help one first and you got yeah. to help yourself first. And if you can't even do that, you're probably never going to help a billion people. Like, yeah. That's just the harsh reality of it. 
Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Key mentor, name another man that you've been inspired by living or dead that you would recommend the men listening to learn more about. Uh, so I actually had a two for this. I think there's one of the men that I highly recommend is Carl Jung. And he's just an incredible, he was an incredible, incredible man. He's the like the granddaddy of psychology. Mm. My mentor, who's since passed away, he's passed away a few years ago. He actually worked with Carl Jung in his early 20s. Sorry, when my mentor was in his early 20s. So I was fortunate enough to learn the sort of lineage of Jungian psychology from him. And Carl Jung is just a brilliant, brilliant mind who really understands the internal experience. So if you're on the journey of understanding or seeking to understand your own internal experience, read Carl Jung. The second guy is a guy by the name of Anthony DeMello. And his last name is two parts. It's D-E and then space M-E-L-L-O. And Anthony DeMello was a Jesuit priest who was just this incredible man. And so if you are wanting to develop a deeper sense of awareness in your life and presence in your life, or you are on a spiritual path of some form, I would definitely check out Anthony DeMello. Cool. Man, those Jesuit priests, man, they... They got something going on. Yeah. There's something interesting about that, that study, if you will. Yeah. Okay. Number three, key resource, your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year. Yeah. So I have a book and a podcast. So the book is called Awareness by Anthony DeMello. And incredible book. I've read it like a dozen times. It's absolutely amazing. Some people read it and they're like, oh, I can't. It pisses some people off and other people are like, holy crap, this is the simplest, most profound book that I've ever read. So, you know, enjoy your journey on that. Okay. And then, <laughs> but the whole premise of the book is that it helps develop self-awareness within yourself. And, and, I, and I find that self-awareness does piss you off. Yeah. It's going to piss you off a little bit. You see shit that you didn't think would be there. So it should, it, it should piss you off sometimes <laughs> and make you, make you laugh the other times. Yeah. It really depends on, on what part you're discovering. Right. And then the podcast, I have to shamelessly plug my own podcast here. I was going to tell you, you can, absolutely. <laughs> but it's because I interviewed one of the most fascinating men that you know I've listened to a ton of podcasts and I had never heard of this guy. And I saw a YouTube video on Big Think and this guy named Bo Lotto, B-E-A-U, last name is Lotto, L-O-T-T-O. And I interviewed him on my podcast and it was one of the coolest hmm conversations I've ever had with any human being on the face of the planet. He's a, he's a neuroscientist and he talks, about, he talks about the neuroscience of change. So he talks about why our brains are not actually wired to change at all mm. and why it's natural to experience resistance when trying to change anything in your life in any way, shape or form. And it was just a very enlightening conversation in many ways. So I would check that out on the Man Talk Show. It's a, it's a very good one. Okay, excellent. And, and again, if you're listening, maybe you're driving, you don't have to write this down. This will all be in the show notes at Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y, Reeves.com slash Men This Way podcast. It'll all be there. So, okay, number four, and we're almost finished. Number four, key investment. In the last year, what's the best thing that you've spent money on under $10,000? Yeah, this was an interesting interesting one that really made me think about it for a while. The first thing that came to my mind was Audible. And I know it's a weird one to lead with, but Audible, you know, I consumed like 70 books last year. And that was thanks to Audible. And I I really I like learning and I, I like learning about different topics. And that investment really broadened my scope. 
So that one was sort of like a, a personal one. And then on the on the other side, a meditation coach or program of some form. Mm. Last year, I did a whole bunch of training with Wim Hof. And I actually found that that breath exercise, um, your breath can radically change your life. It's the f- weirdest thing. It's the mm. weirdest thing. But if you can invest in doing some sort of a training not just with meditation, but with somebody that can teach you how to breathe properly. It can radically change your thoughts, your nervous system, your emotional awareness, your cognitive abilities. And, and so find somebody that can help you with your breath. And that, that shifted things for me in a big way. Yeah, that's interesting. Even in uh, you know working with couples, one of the most profound things you can do when you feel a fight coming on is just stop and, and breathe. Yep. Yeah. Can change the outcome of a fight, really, just shifting your breath and your nervous system. So at Wim Hof, he's the guy with the the hair, the crazy hair, and the he's, he doesn't he do the, the the cold plunge. <laughs> yeah, he's the ice man. His stuff's the a little man. his stuff's pretty extreme. So like you don't necessarily have to do that. But if you find, you know, if you're on the journey of finding a coach or a mentor of some capacity, just ask if they have any breath practice. And yeah. I mean, mine started when I was singing classical music mm-hmm. when I was singing opera and mm-hmm. I learned a lot there about breathing. But yeah, find somebody, whether it's a meditation or yoga that can help you on that journey. Excellent. And finally, and you've already given us one practice. This is, this is the key practice. You've given us one already. It could be the same or if you have another one, but please offer one practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational that has served you well and that you challenge the men listening to take on for just the next seven days. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm going to give them two or three options to choose from. The first one is cold showers. So my morning routine is I do breath first thing in the morning. I do my breath exercise, breathing exercise for about 15, 20 minutes. And then I do meditation. And then I go and hop in and have a cold shower. Cold showers, if you experience anxiety, if you experience high levels of stress, cold showers can stress your nervous system in a way as to sort of calm it down and actually help it reset in many different ways. So what I would encourage you to do if you hear this and you're like, I hate the idea of that, start with a hot shower and do your normal routine in the shower. And then for the last 20 to 40 seconds, slowly put it down as cold as you can on the top of your forehead and just acclimatize to that cold water. And then when you can, turn around and try and get the cold water on the back of your neck because there is a nerve called the vagus nerve running from the very base of your spine all the way up to the base of your brain. And that vagus nerve is a highway of information for your entire body. It's the most important nerve in your body because most of the information from your gut, from your pelvis, from your heart, from your lungs... All of that travels through the vagus nerve and up to the brain. And so if you can take a cold shower and you can get it on the back of your neck, on your back, on your spine, even in the, on the very base of your spine where the vagus nerve starts, it will actually help to reset that nerve and help to reset your nervous system to acclimatize to a little bit of stress. So it's kind of like using stress to detox from stress if you can. So Fire with fire. Yeah, that's right. Cold showers every day. You know, the other one, I was going to say meditation, but I feel like that's too simple. So doing some breath exercises every day. And the breath exercise that I'll give you um, is what I call the infinity breath. And the infinity breath is where you breathe in through your nostrils 
down the very front line of your body into your pelvis. And when you exhale, you exhale up the spine and back out the nose. And it's just that infinity cycle. And so when you breathe in, it's almost like you're sighing inwards. It's just like this very relaxed breath and the breath is falling in the body and it's traveling straight down as you inhale, straight down the front line of your body into the pelvis. And when you exhale, it's traveling up the back of your body, up your spine, and then straight out your nose. So is that and, more of like a visualization or do you mean really finding the sensations within which that's happening? Visualizing first and trying to find the sensations of that visualization happening. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And that can do a whole bunch of things that we don't necessarily have time to get into. But again, it's great for anxiety. It's great for grounding. If you struggle with being really stressed out, it's something that you can practice at work and at home. And so for the next seven days, when you feel stressed out, when you're getting in an argument or about to go into an intense meeting, or even this is probably the best practice that I give to all my clients. When you get home from work, you pause you turn off all your devices for two minutes and you do that breathing exercise just for two or three minutes to help reset your nervous system before you go into your home. Excellent. Powerful. Thank you, Connor. No problem. Where can listeners learn more about you and what you're up to? Yeah. Uh, you can find me mantox.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at mantox or you can go to my personal website, connorbeaton.com as most things live and reside on that site. Awesome, man. And again, that'll all be on the show notes. Connor, thank you so much, man. It's been such a pleasure. I wish we could do this for hours more. And maybe as this podcast evolves and I take the limit off the hour, we'll come back and we will just fucking go for it, man. We'll just wrap on all kinds of things. But so grateful to you. I really admire what you're doing in the world, man. I look up to you because of how you're showing up and the opportunities you're creating for men to become better husbands, become better leaders, become better fathers and better men, whatever that means for them uniquely. So thank you for doing that in the world. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Connor Beaton. Find Connor at mantalks.com and on Instagram at mantalks. Any links, resources, books, and Connor Beaton's five key takeaways will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. Remember, it's Brian with a Y, reeves.com forward slash podcast. If you can think of anyone who might be served by what you just heard, please share this episode with them now. And if you were inspired by this conversation, please, right now, go leave a rating on your favorite podcast app. Not just with five stars, but write some words too, because your inspired words could be the difference to someone considering whether to listen in, which means you too can lead more men this way. Finally, you should know I coach men and also women and also couples who are committed to thriving in life. Go to brianreeves.com slash coaching to learn more. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired. <laughs>